Hello, everybody. You're listening to Crunch Squad. It's a podcast within a podcast wherein we discuss the rules, the mechanics, and the number crunching behind this wonderful game of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Ned Wilcock, the host for Crunch Squad, and today I'm joined by... Hey, everybody. It's Jacob. Yes. We've got uh, an audience suggestion for this episode of Crunch Squad. This comes to us from Anthony W. on Twitter, who says, Hey, guys, just listened to your Crunch Squad episode on monks. Would you consider doing one on rangers? Feel like you would give it an unbiased look where other reviews feel like they go in with a grudge against them to start. Ooh, we've got some drama here. Apparently there's a problem with rangers in D&D. I have some bad news for Anthony. I am coming into this episode wholly biased. I love (laughs) rangers. I love rangers. I can't wait to talk about them. Anyone who doesn't love rangers needs to change their mind. (laughs) Yeah. I am going to do my best to come in here as a sort of, you know, this is, it's all about the science. It's all about the numbery stuff. I'm trying to be Mm -hmm. as objective and scientific about this as possible, but I'm maybe a little biased towards Rangers as well, but we're going to, we're going to try and present both sides of this argument and help you understand why Rangers are actually really, really good, despite what they say on Reddit and like r slash D&D memes and whatnot. Yes, we'll present both sides. One side saying why rangers are great. The other side saying, you know, very with very flawed logic why rangers are bad, which will decimate that, obviously, and de- debunk all the myths. <laughs> so there's, like, kind of one of the big complaints that people have had about rangers is they feel like they don't stack up as much in terms of combat. And there are a couple of very situational sort of rules which, you know, if you're really trying to power game the game like a lot of us do, then I can understand why you're coming to that. But I want to share just like a quick personal anecdote um, about why maybe you shouldn't just get too involved in all of that meta conversation happening online and whatnot. So I was running a campaign for a longtime friend of mine who was playing D&D for the first time. And he is super into nature kind of stuff. He worked at Grand Teton National Park for a while. He's currently working for an environmental nonprofit. So when he decided he wanted to play a ranger, I was not surprised in the slightest. It's like the perfect thing for this guy to be playing. And it was going super great. He was loving it. He was do- he was shooting stuff with his bow. He was describing like the anime flips he would do off of barrels as he was firing <laughs> at enemies, having an awesome time. And then one day he shows up to D&D and he's a little crestfallen and he's like, Ned, I, I got on D&D memes for the first time and turns out I chose the wrong class. I shouldn't have decided to be a ranger because they're the worst apparently. And I'm just here like, dang it, my friend is having a fun time playing D&D, and the internet's here to just ruin it for everybody. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, th- there's a little bit of my bias coming into this situation <laughs> here, because I am very much of the opinion that you should just play whatever character fits like the mental image that you have of what you want your character to be, i.e. why I am playing a kobold druid, which is really <laughs> not a very good combination. <laughs> But yeah, that's just my little anecdote to kind of get us started here for maybe where I'm coming from with this situation. For sure, for sure. And if I could share kind of where I'm approaching the ranger from, I, uh, ranger, coincidentally enough, similar to your friend, I don't work at 
a national park, unfortunately. Not that similar. But I, it was my first class, actually, playing Dungeons & Dragons. I, I played Pathfinder a couple times, but the first 5e experience, I chose a half-orc ranger build. Mm. And I... I loved it. I loved it so much. Now, granted, and I think we'll get into it, yes, in the original game player's handbook, there are some major some major hurdles or major flaws that you could you could tell like, oh, this wasn't thought out fully mechanically. But we'll get into kind of how that can be can be overcome, but going back to to the narrative that you're talking about, Ned, it was it was so enjoyable to be this kind of rogue in the wilderness who also is somewhat druidic and also can be a fighter like i consider the 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 there's two classes of D&D that I consider the jack of all trades. Even though you can blend D&D so much together in so many ways, there's two classes where I'm like if you want to just hey, I want to be able to do the most stuff as possible, you're looking at in my opinion, bard because they can be so many different things. And you're looking at Ranger. And it's just kind of the flavor you want to go with. And I just loved it. I loved being a Ranger. And I can't wait to dive into the mechanics behind it and how, even with some of the troubling mechanics, we can easily find ways to enjoy it. And that even Wizards of the Coast has acknowledged it and given us kind of ways to adapt to it. So there have been a few different attempts over the years. At one point, they released an Unearthed Arcana just called the Revised Ranger. Mm-hmm. It was a completely rejiggered version of the Ranger. And that was kind of their first acknowledgement of, okay, we hear what people are saying, and we want to make this a class that more people will feel good about playing. But what we've ended up with is, I think, a very elegant solution with the updates they gave us in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Because in this book, for every single class, they give you a series of new options where you can either add these features to the ones that exist in the player's handbook, or certain features will say, this feature replaces a feature from the player's handbook. Yes. I will admit, the ranger saw a lot more attention in this department Mm -hmm. than some of the other classes by a pretty wide margin. I mean, like, the rogue gets one new ability, the steady aim, and the ranger gets three whole pages of alternate abilities that you can swap in. (laughs) So there's a bit of crunch that we're going to go into here, but hey, that's what the show is all about. That's the name of the show? Exactly. So I think we'll start at the top and work our way down, and in any instance where we run into a feature from the player's handbook that has a potential replacement in Tasha's Cauldron, then we'll just shout it out right then and there along with and kind of compare and contrast. Yeah. All right. So starting with just some of our basic stuff, we've got a D10 hit die, which is great. Mm -hmm. Best hit die in the game, aside from the Barbarian. Packs a punch for sure. Yeah. Get proficiency with all weapons, with all armor except for heavy armor. Now, when we get into the first level features, this is where we talk about like, these are very situational sort of abilities that can often require maybe a little bit more buy-in or a bit more forethought from your dungeon master in order to make them really shine. They can often feel like maybe you don't get as much out of them as you would like. Uh, So we're gonna start with the first one here, Favored Enemy. Yes. And so the idea here is that In the monster manual, every type of creature you're going to encounter is a certain type of creature. You've got humanoids, you've got oozes, you've got celestials and fiends and whatnot. And so you choose one of these types of creatures, and that is your favored enemy. 
and once you choose that favored enemy, you get a few certain advantages against enemies of that type. And so, starting off, you have advantage on wisdom survival checks to track your favored enemies, as well as all intelligence checks to learn information about them, and you can also learn one language that is spoken by your favored enemy if they speak one. And then you get to do that again at level 6 and again at level 14. Yep, so you get multiple favored enemies, which is kind of a cool feature. So it's not just like, oh, I have one thing that I'm really good at handling and that's my existence for 20 levels. You actually can add some more things. And I think that to me presents a really cool way to not only have obviously more uh, technical aspects to uh, certain enemies, but it also can add very well to like a narrative. If you're doing a narrative type campaign and you come across that you are hunting dragons, but you didn't even think about that at the beginning, or, you know, you are uh, in the underdark and you are fighting drow or, you know, anything you're, you're in the, the, oh, I'm blinking on it. The, where the gith are, where is that Ned? I'm the astral plane. The astral plane. And that's where your quest took you. And it happens to be around your level six or your level 14. It can be so like narratively cool to link those together. So if you're able to make the ability match up with the story, that's when it works. But there is kind of a downfall of that in like, if you're doing a homebrewed campaign and your DM is able to cater things to your character, for example, that works out pretty good. But if we're playing through Tyranny of Dragons and we have a ranger whose favorite enemy is oozes, um, I don't think we've <laughs> fought a single ooze in this entire campaign. We're getting there. That's the big bad. That's going to be the big bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's where it can leave you feeling maybe a little bit pigeonholed or a little bit left out to dry. If you chose the wrong favorite enemy at the beginning, then you don't really get any benefit from this feature. For so sure. I can see where people are coming from with that. Now, what they replaced it with in Tasha's Cauldron is the favored foe feature. Yes, true. And thematically, they're very different, actually. Favored enemy is all about, I know this type of enemy very, very well. Whereas favored foe is all about, I choose a specific enemy in this specific encounter, and I am able to be much more effective in combat against that specific creature. Yeah, I believe it says where when you are hitting a creature on an attack roll, you can connect to it like a mythic bond, which gives you that kind of favored enemy status for a minute, but it is a concentration thing. So that's an interesting add-on that this is very concentration-based, almost like you're casting a spell. And I'm not sure, mm -hmm. Ned, I actually didn't look into this. It just popped in my mind. Would that mean if you do the favored foe feat in a battle, can you not, because rangers, as we're going to find out, can cast magic, can you not cast a concentration spell if you're doing a favored foe uh, feature? Yeah, so this is something that I did specifically look up and that Jeremy Crawford has specifically addressed. You're going to see that this feature has a lot of crossover with a spell called Hunter's Mark. Mm -hmm. That is like the bread and butter of combat for rangers. So while you have this creature marked as your favored foe for that minute, up to a minute, as long as you maintain that concentration, the first time on each of your turns that you hit that favored enemy with an attack and deal damage to it, uh, and that includes the first time you attack it when you mark it initially, you add a 1d4 to that damage output, and you can mark a favored enemy a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus per long rest. And then later on, that damage increases to a d6 at level 6, 
and a d8 at level 14. This is very similar to Hunter's Mark in that Hunter's Mark is a spell. You cast it as a bonus action. It's a first level spell. And for up to an hour, you get 1d6 extra damage against an enemy that you're attacking. So there are a few distinct benefits to Favored Foe in that first, it doesn't cost either an action or a bonus action. You just get it for free the first time you hit an enemy. And no spell slot. Yeah, no spell slot, and you get it at first level, whereas rangers don't get spellcasting until second level. It is only 1d4 as opposed to 1d6, but it's a much more consistent way of dealing damage to a foe, because even when you do get your spellcasting, you only have two first level spell slots, and if you have like other spells you want to be using, then it might be a bit of a trade-off behind, oh, do I spend this spell slot on Hunter's Mark? Whereas this, no spell slots, no weird stuff. You just mark the enemy and you're good to go. Yeah, that is cool. So it's kind of like a, again, this is what is really cool that Wizards of the Coast has done through um, Tasha's Cauldron is it gives you like a way to approach it. If you have like you talked about Ned, a very homebrewed campaign where the DM can really tailor things to the players, Favored enemy, the, the the thing that was originally in the player's handbook, would be an awesome thing to do because you just become very focused on being able to have that advantage of wisdom, survival checks of tracking them, intelligence, remembering information about them, speaking a language for them. That's really cool. But if you're kind of not feeling that much, and you obviously have to do a lot of research with it, if you're like, ah, I just want something that's quick, easy, can benefit me right away, Favored Foe, the optional trait from Tasha's Cauldron, is an awesome, awesome optional feature. Yeah. One specific thing to keep in mind, though, with Favored Foe, since it requires concentration like a spell, that does mean you can't have Favored Foe and Hunter's Mark active at the same time. Ah, there you so go. So you gotta, you gotta make that choice there. Now we move on to the second first level feature, which is Natural Explorer. And this is a big old kitchen sink full <laughs> of all kinds of different abilities. So there are a few different types of terrain, similar to how you choose a favored enemy, you choose a favored terrain. These include Arctic, Coast, Desert, Forest, Grassland, Mountain, and Swamp. Uh, and the Underdark, that one's also there. Now, while you're in your favored terrain, whenever you make an intelligence or wisdom check that's related to your favored terrain, you double your proficiency bonus for that skill roll, and you get a whole bunch of other stuff that happens yeah. while you're in your favored terrain. First, difficult terrain doesn't slow your group's travel. Second, your group can't become lost except by magical means. Third, even when you're engaged in another activity while you're traveling, such as foraging, navigating, or tracking, you remain alert to danger. Fourth, if you're traveling alone, you can move stealthily at normal pace rather than at half pace, which is normally what you'd need to do to be able to do a stealthy travel. Fifth, when you forage, you find twice as much food as you normally would. And sixth, while you're tracking other creatures, you also learn their exact number, their sizes, and how long ago they pass through the area, and you can choose additional favorite terrains at sixth and tenth level. <laughs> yeah. So, again, we've got kind of that situational aspect where it's like, you know, if you chose the Underdark as your favorite terrain because you thought that was cool, and then you end up in Tyranny of Dragons, then, you know, unless Thomas makes some pretty big changes to how the campaign runs, you're not going to get a super big benefit out of that. 
but also it can be difficult for the player and the DM to be able to keep in mind just all of the different benefits that you have while you're in your favorite terrain. Yes, I know in my own experience being a ranger, my first time ever playing, I did choose this as one of, as the option. I went with this instead of what we're going to get to, the optional one that could take its place of Natural Explorer. And it was very difficult to track, but it was also really cool where, like, I remember us literally trying to follow an enemy camp. And luckily, it was it was around kind of my favorite train. And it... <laughs> where the DM's like, yeah, it's going to take you, like, you can do a lot of these things. I'm like, can I just, like, check for tracking the creatures so I can also learn their exact sizes and, you know, their exact number? And he was like, dang it. (laughs) Like, I forgot you had that because there's just so many things that go (laughs) into it. I like to approach these two options as the natural explorer is your PC build. You can do so much with it. There's a lot that goes into it. But if you like a lot of options, this is the way to go. The other one, that which we're about to jump into, the optional uh, feature, Deft Explorer, that's a little bit more, not exactly, there's still some choices for it, but that's a little bit more streamlined to make it not as uh, heavy, if you will, of a feature. And this one, it's not so much about having a favored terrain as it is just being kind of all around a good person out in the wilderness. And so... With Natural Explorer, we get benefits at 1st, 6th, and 10th level. Same thing with Deft Explorer, but each of those is its own specific unique feature. So first level, the feature is called Canny. You choose one of your skill proficiencies. Oh, this has two, two separate benefits for Canny. First one, you choose one of your skill proficiencies and double your proficiency bonus for that skill. And this is very, very similar to what we've already seen with the Rogue. Yes. They have expertise. Yes. And... Kind of the big difference here is that expertise gives you the double proficiency on two separate skills of your choice, whereas with canny, it's only one skill, but you also get to learn how to speak, read, and write two additional languages of your choice. Yes, this is kind of like the jack-of-all-trades thing. You get a little bit from the rogue, and oh, I get a little bonus to a proficiency, but also you get more kind of intelligence-based things and languages. It's really cool. Yeah, and it brings us back a little bit of that flavor from the favored enemy, where favored enemy lets you learn an associated language with your favored enemy type, and now you just choose two languages, and boom, you know those. Then at sixth level, we get a feature called roving. Your walking speed increases by five, and you gain a climbing speed and a swimming speed equal to your walking speed. That's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. That's really cool. Because typically... If you want to either swim or to climb up a regular surface, that's going to cost double movement. If you traditionally can move 30 feet in one round, you're only going to be able to move 15 feet through water or up like a cliff wall or a tree, for example. But now you can do that at your normal speed, which has been increased by five feet to boot. Yeah, that just it just gives you so much more options and you can really become that image of a ranger, the scout almost of a party. This just gives you that ability even more. Yeah, shooting people from the top of a tree, that kind of stuff. And then at level 10, we get a feature called Tireless. As an action, you can give yourself a number of temporary hit points equal to 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier, and that is a minimum of one if you unfortunately are a ranger with a negative wisdom modifier, (laughs) which I wouldn't advise. Yes, that's Um, (laughs) really going to slow you up in the spell department later. (laughs) Yeah, so... Uh, Yeah, you use your action, give yourself 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier, temporary hit points, and you can do that a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus per long rest, which is pretty nice. Yeah. 
that's really cool. Yeah, this is a great thing, especially for like before going into an encounter because it does take up your action. So it's not necessarily something you're gonna wanna be doing a lot during the middle of combat, but before you get into combat, you're getting up to, like up to 13 temp HP, a nice little buffer to help keep yourself from going down. Well, and something else that's attached to this that's really cool, if your DM likes to throw the exhaustion thing at you, Tireless helps in that regard too. Usually to get over exhaustion, an exhaustion point, if you will, or a level, you have to do a long rest. The tireless feature for a ranger at 10th level, you only have to do a short rest to get over a level of exhaustion. Pretty nice because even even that first level of exhaustion is really nasty. Yes, yes. <laughs> we have experienced that in our campaign. <laughs> so yeah, that is kind of the first two first level features that are kind of the bread and butter of the ranger um, in the original handbook they can be a little specific a little situational but in the right situations can give you a lot of benefit whereas if you want to be just a more kind of general all-around combatant maybe you go for the ones in tasha's cauldron of everything then Moving on to second level, we get a couple really cool things. First, you get a fighting style, which oh, is this great. this is my favorite. I love it. <laughs> so in the player's handbook, the ranger gets to choose from four different fighting styles, which actually I think, is this the first time we've talked about fighting styles on Crunch Squad? Unless we've done a fighter episode, because that's where you can kind of, that's where the jack of all trades kind of comes in for it. And I think so. Yeah, because let me just check barbarian really quick. I don't think barbarians I don't think they get have fighting, fighting styles style specifically. They do not. No. Yeah, so fighting styles are a really cool feature that lets you really kind of specialize in how you engage in combat and gives you some really good bonuses. So for the ranger, first thing we're looking at is archery, which gives you a plus two bonus to attack rolls with ranged weapons. That's really good. Mm -hmm. Next up is defense. While you're wearing armor, you gain plus one bonus to your AC. Also very good. And then we get into, we have two different melee options. First is dueling. While you're wielding a melee weapon in one hand and no other weapons, you gain a plus two bonus to damage rolls with that weapon and two weapon fighting. When you engage in two-weapon fighting, you can add your ability modifier to the sec to the damage of the second attack. Which have we talked about two-weapon fighting in Crunch Squad yet? Not. I, none of us have it, so I don't believe so, or at least not like yeah, not explicitly, because none of us have that as an option. Yeah. So traditionally, when you do two-weapon fighting, you have a light weapon in each hand, and when you use your act, when you use your action to make an attack with one of those weapons, you can use your bonus action to make an attack with the second weapon. Again, they both have to be light weapons, but the thing with the second attack is you don't get to add your ability modifier to the damage. Yes, I know Lance Thalen has usually has his short sword and his dagger, so I use two weapon fighting. We've just never explicitly talked about it because it's just a kind of a na it's not necessarily a rogue thing. It's just a r general rule. Yeah. And so what happens here is instead of omitting that modifier to the damage with the second attack, you get to keep that, which is really nice. Modifiers carry a lot more weight with them typically than the die type of the weapon you're fighting with, for example, it's pretty nice. because they're much more consistent. And there are three other fighting styles you can get in Tasha's Cauldron, but we'll We'll talk about, we'll let you look those ones up yourself. Oh, yeah. That'll be a nice little uh, homework assignment for Well, you. not just Tasha's. I know in the in the source I use for kind of looking into the Ranger and, and the one that I was using, there's actually like a lot of different ones, not just from Tasha's, but Unearthed Arcana has a bunch of them, like Close Quarters Shooter, where you can actually be really good at shooting 
in obviously close situations. There's the like a tunnel fighter, which again, th- these are a little bit very more specific. You can even go with kind of a druidic warrior sense, which is really cool. But yeah, look the if you want to find out all the fighting styles of a ranger, there's some fun research to do out there. Indeed. And then the other thing we get at second level is our spell casting. And this is, I'm realizing another first for Crunch Squad, is we're going to talk about a half-caster class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so far we've talked about wizards and druids, which are full spellcasters. We've talked about rogues and barbarians, which are partial, which are just completely martial classes. But we have rangers and paladins, which fall under this sort of middle ground situation here, where you can only end up casting spells up to 5th level rather than ninth level like a full spellcaster would, but that is balanced by the fact that you are more combat-oriented. A lot of the spells you're going to get are there specifically to benefit your combat options, which makes you a more effective combatant. And it, it's just really, again, it goes back to, to my, my stance on rangers, a jack-of-all-trades. You're not going to be a full spellcaster, but you do have plenty of options of how to kind of diversify your playstyle. Yeah, and this is where like Hunter's Mark comes into play, for example. Um, you get that extra damage every time you hit the marked foe. You also get stuff like Cordon of Arrows or Hail of Thorns, where whenever you make that ranged attack, it just does a lot more damage on top of it. And this is also why we said that you don't want to dump your wisdom, because your wisdom is the ability that you use for your spell casting. So keep that high. Yep. I always like to think of it, again, you can create your ranger however you want, but this is in the thematic element of a ranger is usually out there in nature. So they're not necessarily intelligent to society or to the learning of the world, but they definitely have the smarts of, I can sense things and just kind of naturally kind of have the street smarts, if you will. And then uh, at third level, you start getting into your subclasses. Oh, I believe one um, more thing that's just an interesting little side, sorry for spellcasting, I believe, is it in Tasha's Cauldron where you have that optional rule as well that instead of having those uh, components to spellcasting, you can actually use a druidic focus like a druid would where you have just a focus for your spell so you don't have to necessarily, if you're really giving into the details, diving into, I need to collect all these materials for spells. Correct, yes. So similarly to how Fleeple just uses his sheep's fleece as a channeling device for the arcane energies, uh, the druid, the, the ranger, now has the option to do the same thing. Yeah. And let's see, third level subclasses. We'll probably want to talk a little bit about the Beastmaster because that saw a lot of love yes. in the Tasha's Cauldron update. Beastmaster definitely is one that we, that you see a lot of changes to. <laughs> and so we'll talk about that probably at the end there. Um, but then also at third level, you get a feature called Primeval Awareness. And this also has a counterpart in Tasha's Cauldron. It changes from primeval awareness to primal awareness. You see you see what they're doing there? Mm-hmm. Clever girl. So primeval awareness, you can use your action and you expend one ranger spell slot and for one minute per level of spell slot. So if you cast it a second level, you can do it for two minutes, etc. You can learn whether there are within one mile of you the following types of creatures. Aberrations, Celestials, Dragons, Elementals, Fey, Fiend, and Undead. And if you're in your favored terrain, that extends up to six miles. Now, this doesn't tell you exactly where they are or how many of them there are, but it does let you know, okay, 
there is a demon within one mile of me, which is a pretty nice thing to know, I would say. And the thing that they replace this with in Tasha's Cauldron, the primal awareness, this is very, very, very different. Uh, what this does is at certain ranger levels, at 3rd, 5th, 9th, 13th, and 17th, you gain access to a new spell that you can cast once per day without using a spell slot. Yeah, and I believe it goes with like third is speak with animals, fifth be sense, ninth speak with plants, thirteenth locate creature, seventeenth commune with nature. So very ranger type spells to help maybe give you access to seeing things or understanding maybe possibly what's in the area and being obviously more aware. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is where we pick back on some of the utility that we kind of lost out on from the earlier features, where, like, Favored Enemy was replaced with a very, very combat-focused feature, and you lost some of those more knowledge, nature-based features. Here, when you get access to these spells, they can get you some pretty similar results by casting these spells that you would have gotten from those other features. And, like you pointed out, they don't take a spell slot. You can only do it once per day with these, but... That's a really nice thing that you're not having to worry like, oh, yeah, I get these spells, but now I have to worry about my spell slots for them. Nope. Mm -hmm. And I believe, so the specific wording is you learn additional spells when you reach certain levels if you don't already know them and they don't count against the number of spells you know. So I believe you still would be able to cast these spells with your regular spell slots on top of the once free per day. Ooh. So extra versatility with the spell casting there. Oh, and also there's an expanded list of spells for the ranger that comes in Tasha's Cauldron as well. Just more versatility with that. At 4th level, we've got our ability score improvement. This is very standard stuff. 4th, 8th, 12th, 16th, 19th levels, ability score improvement or choose a feat. And then 5th level, extra attack. Also very standard. You can attack twice with the attack action instead of just once. That's so nice. That's so fun. It's so good. As, as Mickey has very, very much sung the praises of, Extra attack is a very good thing. Yes, and I know for 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 those who are like, uh, yeah, jack of all trades sounds nice, but I really want to specialize. Just because you have a lot of options doesn't mean you can't specialize. Specifically, when I was a ranger, my first time playing, I really wanted a I wanted some of these options, but I wanted a very fight heavy ranger, a front line. I wasn't necessarily going for the bow background ranger. I was a fighter ranger. And with the extra attack, plus some of those other abilities that are out there potentially, I did a freaking ton of damage. So so don't mm -hmm. feel like all these options we're talking about. It's like, oh, that sounds like, yeah, there's so much to do, but I can't specialize. No, you can, you just gotta go, you just gotta get creative with it. Exactly. Then at level eight, we get Landstride, and this one is left completely intact. Uh, there's no replacement for it in Tasha's Cauldron, and the way that this works is basically uh, you don't have to worry about difficult terrain. Moving through non-magical difficult terrain costs you no extra movement, and you can also pass through you can also pass through non-magical plants without being slowed by them or without taking damage from them if they have thorns, spines, or a similar hazard. So you can just walk through a rose bush if you want to. <laughs> That's a beautiful image. Just, oh my gosh, how are we getting into this castle? It's surrounded by rose bushes. I've got it. The ranger just goes. <laughs> yeah, you know, if uh, Prince Philip from Sleeping Beauty had been a ranger <laughs> instead of a uh, cavalier or whatever he is, <laughs> we'd have had a much easier time. Yes. Oh, man. Always be a ranger, kids. Always be a ranger. <laughs> and then, in addition to that, 
you have advantage on saving throws against plants that are magically created or manipulated to impede movement, such as those created by the Entangle spell. Then at level eight, we've got Hide in Plain Sight, which uh, has a counterpart in Tasha's Cauldron, Nature's Veil. I believe that's level so 10, hide in plain, correct? Correct. And this is very, very Rambo. Um, basically, <laughs> yes. you take you take one minute to cover yourself in mud and twigs and leaves and soot and all kinds of stuff, and then if you like push yourself up against a wall, a surface that is as wide and as tall as you are at least, you get plus ten to your stealth checks to try and hide against that surface as long as you don't move. That's so true. That has such a good visual of <laughs> this is the Rambo feature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the bugbear's looking for you, doesn't see you, walks by, and then a pair of eyes just opens yeah. on the wall that it walked past. Get to the Java. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, the way that they do this in Nature's Veil is much more magical. It's, it's explicitly magical. Um, the way that this works is, as a bonus action, you just become invisible, along with any equipment that you are wearing or carrying until the start of your next turn, and you can do that, surprise, a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus per long rest. A very uh, recurring uh, sort of thing for these updates. Yes, for sure. And so, again, we've got pros and cons to both, because Nature's Veil, you do become straight up invisible, which if you can like get away from the combat within the next six seconds, then you're good to go, but it only lasts six seconds. So you gotta be pretty judicious about how you use it. Whereas hide in plain sight, as long as you don't move, you've got that stealth check. And then it looks like the last, there's three more features to the Ranger and none of them were changed. So we are finally, well, we gotta circle back to the archetypes, but we're finally to the level where they didn't change too much in the end. Yeah, so 14th level, Vanish. You can use the hide action as a bonus action on your turns, and you can't be tracked by non-magical means unless you choose to leave leave a trail. And being able to use your bonus action for some of these other actions, like we've seen with the rogue's cunning action, being able to use your bonus action to do something like dash or hide or what have you is pretty valuable in combat. Then at 18th level, Feral Senses. We just talked about your ability to become invisible. This is all about why being invisible is not a good idea when you're around. Because typically when you're trying to attack a creature that you can't see, especially an invisible creature, you have disadvantage on that attack. But now you don't have disadvantage on it anymore. You just are able to attack it as usual, and you are aware of the location of any invisible creature within 30 feet of you, as long as it's not hidden from you and you aren't blinded or deafened. This is getting to the OP stuff. These these above 14th level, you're starting to get to, oh, wow, that's really nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we get to number 20, the capstone feature, which is called Foe Slayer. And the way that this works is on each of your turns, you can add your wisdom modifier to the attack roll or the damage roll of an attack that you make against one of your favored enemies. You can choose to use this feature before or after the roll, but before any effects of the roll are applied. And another important thing to note with this is in this book it says this is for your favored enemies, but favored foe, the alternate feature, does specifically say it works with the foe slayer feature. Oh, cool. So they're keeping that uh, versatility intact there. And so those are all of the core features for the Ranger, both in the base rulebook and in Tasha's Collision of Everything. And as we can see, there are a lot of options because one thing that I really love about Tasha's Cauldron is if we look at something like 
you know, favored foe versus favored enemy, for example, it says all of these options are optional. You can replace it if you want to. You don't have to if you don't want to. If you want to be able to like have all of the knowledge about the foes, just stick with the original one. If you want to be able to have the greater combat consistency, go with the one that gives you that. And at this point, if you will like if you go onto the reddits and all of the places that disparage the ranger for years, the pretty firm consensus is the ranger is not just okay now, the ranger is really good. Yeah. And, you know, there are those of us who believe that the ranger has always been quite good, but now there's the broad consensus that the ranger is a very solid, very viable class. Um, I do worry that it still has a bit of a disadvantage from its reputation. Like Anthony W. said, he feels like a lot of other reviews just have a grudge against the Ranger from the start. And we would implore you to give the Ranger another look if you've been resistant to it in the past, because it's a very solid option, a very, very solid option. Yeah. Rangers don't. Ranger is the is the cool kid of school, not the popular kid, the cool kid who's like, yeah, I can be friends with everyone, <laughs> but I don't belong to this system. That's the ranger. The ranger yeah. doesn't need to fit in your box. The ranger can be whatever they want to be because they have so many options available to them. So if you want to be cool, be a ranger, kids. <laughs> yeah, the ranger is Strider sitting in the corner of the green, the green dragon just staring at Frodo from beneath his hood. Yes, of course. That's like where everyone's like dream ranger is. Just be like... Uh, what do I want to be? Hmm, I'll be Aragorn. Yes, I'll be Strider. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Ah, uh, so good. Now, we did promise that we would talk about the Beastmaster. Yes, this is one of the most changed ranger conclaves, the archetypes or subclasses. And this one definitely got a major overhaul. There's a lot of cool ones. I believe the one that I uh, chose when I was doing my own was the... Oh, what was it? I believe it was the... I think I actually just went straight up Hunter, which is another uh, conclave that's offered directly from the player's handbook. But there's so many other cool ones that you'd want to explore, like Monster Slayer, Swarm Keeper, Gloom Stalker. There's really cool ones. But yeah, Beastmaster, I think that's the one we want to focus on because everyone thinks of a ranger and they think automatically of, ooh, like how do I interact with animals? And there's this animal companion conclave. That sounds so cool. It is especially when you look at the changes that were made. Yeah, maybe you're watching Critical Role and you're like, I want to, I want to have a trinket that fights alongside mm -hmm. me in battle. So most of the complaints, I think, against the Ranger initially were about this subclass specifically, which is kind of unfortunate because it is, in my mind, one of, if not the most thematic subclasses in the entire player's handbook. It's like, hey, I've got this friggin' big animal that just fights alongside me in combat. That's pretty great. But a lot of the kind of lukewarmness towards it came from how it sort of split up your action economy. Because the way that you would command your Beastmaster in the player's handbook was you had to use your action to command your Beast Companion to do either its attack. It, it does have this caveat for like, after you have extra attack, if you command your Beast to attack, you get a free attack as well. Kind of messy. And also it just says choose a creature stat block with a challenge rating of one quarter or lower. So if you end up choosing a brown bear or a giant badger or one of those 
nicer, like beefier combat type creatures, then that's good for you. But if you think, man, I think it'd be really fun to have like a deer as my animal companion. And then you get into combat and realize, <laughs> oh wait, my deer doesn't actually hit very hard. It's kind of unfortunate. And so what they've done in Tasha's Cauldron is rather than taking a stat block from the monster manual, they give you three stat blocks that are designed specifically to scale with your character. Yes. And they are broad enough that you can have them be pretty much whatever you want. Basically, you've got a beast of the land, which is something like your bear, like your deer. But in this instance, they have the same stats, so you can have your deer and still pack as much punch as the bear. You've got the beast of the sea, which gains a swimming speed, gains the aquatic feature so it can breathe underwater. And beast of the sky, which can fly, which is a very valuable thing to happen, to have sometimes. And you don't have to be restricted to one specific type of creature because every time you finish a long rest, you can summon a different primal beast. If you have a bear one day and the next day you think it'd be really nice if I had a crocodile, boom, you just summon a different primal beast. Yep, that's really cool. Especially again, like you said, if you picked, we'll keep using the deer example. If you're like, I want a deer. And then your DM's like, all right, the next six months, we're on the ocean we're pirates and you're like okay i guess i have a random deer (laughs) on the boat with me and then if we get Mm -hmm. shipwrecked and we're in the ocean a deer swimming around this definitely this primal companion option from tasha's cauldron definitely can help you (laughs) help you mold Mm -hmm. your companion as to the situation you're in Yeah, and it also really helps with the eventuality of what happens if your beast companion passes away in the middle of combat. The player's handbook beast companion is is like, well, it's just a beast that you made friends with, so it's dead. Um, You can find a different one and spend hours to make it your companion, but so long trinket. And I love where it says, it says, this is the original, yeah, the original ranger companion. If the beast dies, you can obtain another one by spending eight hours magically bonding with another beast that isn't hostile to you. It's just like so sad (laughs) to think like, yes, this has (laughs) been my like, my hawk since childhood. And then in combat, it dies and you're like eight hours later, later i got a new best friend now (laughs) it's just just like it can be very anticlimactic if you build this backstory with this animal companion and then it dies the primal companion definitely can still you can still manipulate it to have a cool backstory but it definitely it definitely helps uh avoid the anticlimactic nature of an animal dying in combat (laughs) And this kind of ties in with the flavor as well, whereas instead of just finding a random animal, you actually summon a primal beast. Uh, Magically, this beast comes to you, and if it dies, as long as you get to it within the past hour, you can use your action to touch that animal, expend a spell spot of first level or higher, and it returns to life after one minute with all of its hit points restored. That's really nice. That's really cool probably the most important thing as far as keeping your action economy a bit more intact is now rather than using your entire action to command the beast to act it's a bonus action Mm -hmm. so if you've got your extra attack at level five you can make both of your bow attacks against your enemy and also as a bonus action command your bear to go up and maul it that's the name of the attack that the beast of the land has i believe it says Wait, let me double check. You can also sa- it says you can also sacrifice one of your attacks when you take an attack action to command the beast to take an attack action. So you can actually, if I'm reading that right, you can actually like give your beast. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ned. You can actually give your beast 
more options of attacking if you decide, you know what, I'm like 90 yards back, but my beast is right there in the action. I'm going to keep giving him some of my attack actions to keep the fight going there. Is that correct? Yeah, so what we're looking at here is, like, when you reach 5th level, you're going to have 2 attacks that you can use every time you take the attack action, and you've also got your bonus action you can command your beast companion to make an attack. So, consistently 3 attacks per turn, and this maintains that 3 attacks per turn, but gives you the option to decide whether you want 2 of those attacks to be yours, or 2 of those attacks to be your beast companion. That's really cool. That's a really cool feature. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think we necessarily need to dig super far into the stat blocks, but one thing you're going to see a lot in these stat blocks is your proficiency bonus is calculated into your beast's stats. So its armor class is equal to 13 plus your proficiency bonus. Its hit points are 5 plus 5 times your ranger level. Its attacks, it is your spell attack modifier to hit, which includes your proficiency bonus, and the damage it does is 1d8 plus 2 plus your proficiency bonus. And so you are continually getting higher in level, your proficiency bonus is continually scaling up, and therefore built into your animal's abilities is an increase in their combat prowess as well. And yeah, we've talked a lot about the ranger because there's a lot to talk about for sure. Yeah. Do you have any additional comments about our rangery friends before we leave off? Uh, I mean, again, just what we've reiterated, the ranger is such, it is such a cool option. Everyone out there, it is awesome. Now, if you don't like it, if it's not your jam, totally understandable, but like, (laughs) A good adage of oh, what is it from me? Me and my wife love the show Ted Lasso. What is what the phrase that he actually quotes from? I believe it's Walt Whitman of "Be curious, not judgmental." It's okay to be curious Mm. about the Ranger. It's okay if you want to dive into it. If you don't, that's totally fine. But I'm with Ned. Let's stop the hate culture against different classes. The (laughs) Ranger is an awesome, awesome class, and if it's not your jam, that's okay. But you don't have to ruin it for everyone else because. I mean, there's just so many creative things. Again, just one that popped in my mind. I literally could, with this beast, uh, with this, with the, with this beastmaster conclave, I could be like a beast of the land. And before, like you said, if you pick a deer, you're kind of limited in attacking. But I could literally do beast of the land, and I could do like cow, and it's gonna knock somebody on the floor <laughs> as much as a bear beast of the land can. It's just an awesome, awesome, creative and fun thing to be. So. Again, I would encourage people to take a second look. And if you're afraid of like, oh, it's in Ta- all these optional things they're talking about, it's in Tasha's Cauldron, you can find these online. Like I am I am not opposed to saying I have looked this up online. I did not buy the Tasha's Cauldron Everything book. I should because there's some awesome things in there and you got to have to piecemeal it online. But there's some really good resources out there where you can find these options very easily. So don't be afraid to get out there and look at what I consider one of the best, actually, classes there is. Yeah, I think you've said pretty much everything else that needed to be said there. So with that, thank you everybody for listening to this week's episode of iCast Fireball. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we have enjoyed uh, preaching the goodness of the ranger, being ranger apologists <laughs> in the best way possible. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. 
And so from wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps boost our ratings throughout each podcast service. It puts our show in people's recommended feeds and it lets us know that you like what we're doing. If you want to write something a little longer than a review, you know, maybe you want to suggest another thing that you want to hear about in a future Crunch Squad, then feel free to email us at iCastFireball2020 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we're hoping to get the word out there and set this podcast on fire. Fire! To get the most recent up-to-date content from all of us here, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle iCastFireball20. There you can get possible sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, interesting insights from players and the DM, and behind-the-scenes shots of us making this incredibly fun world. Now we just want to give a quick shout out to our sister podcast, Improv Tabletop. Who runs Improv Tabletop, Ned? Well, well, my notes here say that I am the GM oh of Improv Tabletop. <laughs> yeah, it also says that we have amazing campaigns following the Avatar Legends tabletop system. Well, this this is these notes are old. We're doing Blades in the Dark right now. It's st- <laughs> it's still Avatar themed, but we're definitely playing Blades in the Dark right now. Uh, but one thing that is correct about these notes is that we do have a bunch of mini one-month adventures using the Fate Accelerated tabletop system. And so, whether you like tabletop games, improvisation, or hearing more from me, we recommend you go and give Improv Tabletop a listen. Lastly, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends and fellow wacky adventurers. But until next time, I am Ned, the host of Crunch Squad, and around the table, I've got... I'm Jacob, the Ranger Enthusiast. Keep the fire going, and we'll see you next time.